When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ayo, welcome into the CHGO White Sox postgame show presented by PointsBet. Use promo code CHGO when you sign up to get two risk-free bets up to $2,000. Welcome into Studio A of our CHGO offices here in the West Loop of Chicago. I'm Sean Anderson. You can follow me on Twitter at Sean underscore W underscore Anderson. And alongside me, as always, is Herb Lawrence. Hello. You can follow him on Twitter at Ecknerwall23. He's a CHGO White Sox community leader. We are here after... A White Sox win. The White Sox win 7-1. to They didn't keep you in that much suspense uh, in this game. It was a little rocky. I didn't really feel too comfortable with it. But the White Sox started blowing the game open in the bottom of the sixth and the bottom of the eighth inning. Johnny Cueto gets the win. Daniel Mengedin. Megden gets the uh, loss for the Royals. Not going to know your name anymore. Uh, Daniel and not are going to be on the team anymore. Uh, Daniel, why didn't uh, who is it? Who's our guy? Why Brad didn't, Keller start? Why didn't Brad Keller start this game? What's going on here? Because they have a bad manager and Mike Matheny, who, as uh, our guy Nick from uh, Locked On Sox said, is a Tony Larusa protege. So that could be the answer. Why he's bad? Why he's bad and why he <laughs> does dumb things like start a guy that hasn't started this year while you have a perfectly good starter Brad Keller versus the White Sox usually he's good I mean his last start for the White Sox wasn't that great but usually Brad Keller goes out and gives you quality starts versus the White Sox right seemingly the Whites are the Royals have moved Brad Keller to a bullpen role uh, after his August 13th start he hasn't made a start since that day but we were going over the games that Brad Keller has pitched against the White Sox April 28th seven innings Three hits, one earned run, no walks, three strikeouts, one home run. The Royals won that game 5-2. to two. May 16th, he goes seven innings, eight hits, three earned runs, no walks, three strikeouts. The Royals lose that one. Three to five, and then on August second, the Royals lost two to nine in his start. He went five and two thirds, thirteen hits, eight earned runs, one walk, three strikeouts. So I think mainly is they just kept hitting him more and more. They go from hitting him only three times to eight times to thirteen times. Maybe that's the reason, but we know the White Sox struggles against right-handers. I'm surprised they didn't pick the guy with at least more of a resume in Brad Keller over uh, uh, Megden. I mean, Megden. Daniel Megden was trash. He had a decent fastball, but his curveball was just hanging the whole game. White Sox didn't get to him until the second time around the order where they were just crushing those balls. So I knew that was trash, and that wouldn't last for a long time because he's only pitched four and a third innings in the major leagues with Kansas City this year. I would have started Brad Keller and rolled dice and see if I can, he can get a quality start again versus the White Sox. He only had one bad start versus the White Sox this year, and the two others were good, as you said. So I'm glad that we have a dumb manager out there in Kansas City and Mike Matheny. Keep, up, keep it going, even though they beat us 10 games to nine yeah, even, this year. Even though they've won this season series. Uh, let's look at the positive spin, though. You're Herbie Sunshine, Matthew Cortese saying undefeated in September, all right? The Sox are 1-0, and and apparently they had a players meeting before today's game, a players-only meeting, and uh, this is the second players-only meeting or players meeting this week, and this is the, uh, the, the first players-only meeting where apparently the message was to have fun. Did you have fun watching the Sox today? It was fun. It was a little better than it usually is. The White Sox battered Megden around. They got to Brad Keller eventually after two innings of pitching, and they hit the ball of the wall like they've done all this series, three in Tuesday's game, two yesterday, and two today, where they could have had three if not for the heroics of the right fielder out there for Kansas City with that ball. Uh, A.J. Pollock hit the ball opposite field again. His home run yesterday opposite field, the ball that got robbed opposite field, and then the home run that actually went over the fence opposite field to right field. So maybe A.J. Pollock's figuring a couple things out. We heard Steve Stone a couple days ago saying that A.J. was getting a lot of pull happy, and then he grounds the ball into a 5-4-3 double play like the next pitch. Maybe uh, A.J. heard what Steve was saying and has a concerted effort to take the ball the other way. And now he sees he has enough power to get the ball over the fence. Keep on going. Now pitchers would probably try to jam him inside and then he can use his pool happiness 
to left field and hit that ball with the fence because he's not been the player that we were promised when they got traded over here in April. No, and I mean even defensively he's been weak. Uh, there was a play I, I forget it was setting Steven off into a, a rage uh, <laughs> at one point. Uh, he didn't hustle it, or something. It, it, well, no, it was okay, it was on. the play up the middle uh, where uh, the ball is hit up the middle. Uh, Gavin Sheets and AJ Pollock converge on it. AJ Pollock comes up and ends up taking the ball, but he he, he ends up coming up slow on the ball and then completely missing both cutoff guys oh. it going to the catcher and then them allowing to uh, to move up and advance I think then they ended up having uh, it was MJ Melendez who hit the ball uh, Melendez ended up going from first to second on the throw and, and the Royals ended up putting guys on second and third and it but took, you know away, what, it took but, away the force out with one out in the inning too so that's but you what know, I really hated about it go ahead Herb but you know what happened after that what happened Johnny Cueto stepped up and hey. got the next two guys out because Johnny Cueto is one to do Pick up his teammates when his teammates make errors and when he makes errors himself and gets people on base. More likely than not, Johnny Cueto gets out of those unscathed. And so he did it again today and helped his team grab this dub. Well, I think, too, let's go to the top of the fifth because I think that was just a really interesting inning. Uh, Drew Waters led off the inning, doubling to right. And then Nicky Lopez, local legend. Grounded into a fielder's choice to Elvis Andres, who's basically playing a shifted shortstop behind the second base bag. He gets the ball. Cueto is pointing. Throw it to third because Waters, who is on second, tries to go to third. Elvis nails him at third. Great play. Great throw. They get out. And you really see the great defense in that first inning. And then it just unravels. Then, uh, you know, Melendez grounds uh, up the middle. Lopez advances the third. And and you have that A.J. Pollock play. So you have a great defensive play. And then exactly what the White Sox have always done, making a horrible defensive play. So, you know, it's, it's just so back and forth. You really don't know if you can trust this team because I love seeing A.J. Pollock taking the ball the other way, but what we have seen from the White Sox is going the other way is a detriment to this team. Hey, I'm not going to be upset. They just hit seven home runs at a three-game series. That's fantastic for the White Sox, but you see the way A.J. Pollock went. I just don't think that's sustainable for his power. Now, Gavin Sheets hitting two home runs, pulling the ball. Aloy Jimenez pulling the ball for his homer. Elvis Andrews pulling the ball for his homer. Andrew Vaughn pulling the ball for his homer. Again, I'm not going to complain. But AJ, I don't. I, I again, like it's good that he is at least kind of getting back in that rhythm. I think that's what you're saying. Yep. You know, not just being so tendons to pull the ball using the whole field, but. Again, I, I'm kind of fine if the White Sox want to be pull happy because pull happy might mean more home runs. Yeah, especially for our big-time power hitters. But for A.J. to get back to the swing that he needs to, maybe going the other way will get him back to a regular swing. And our guy Jared, thank you for it. It was two line drives. One line drive right up the middle, but the White Sox were shifted perfectly right behind second base that they caught the ball. And then a line drive right to Lurie, who was playing perfectly at third base to get out of that inning for Johnny Cueto. So the balls were hit hard, but right at people. So, yeah, Johnny Cueto, man, what can we say? Well, the man had a, a bad start versus Arizona. You went to the game, and that's probably why he was nervous that you were in attendance. He's <laughs> like, I got to play well versus Sean. I know that he, uh, he's been hyping me up this whole year. He wet the bed. Comes back today versus Kansas City in a game that the White Sox had to have. Showed up. Well, and two, one thing that I told you in the pregame, watch the velocity. If the velocity is there, Johnny Quaid will probably be successful. He was successful today, and he threw 53 pitches over 90 miles per hour. Had a lot that hit 94 as well. So, again, bad game. Brush it off, came out, was great today. Let's look at the pitching lines. Uh, Johnny Cueto was real fun to watch today. I thought he could have gone longer. Miguel Cairo had some interesting bullpen decisions that we could talk about. Cueto goes five and one-third, one earned run, six hits allowed, no walks, and five Ks. Our guy Daniel Megden, Megden going two and two-thirds, three earned runs, five hits, one walk, and two Ks. Cueto, though... Gets to 94 pitches, gets into a little bit of trouble in the sixth inning. Prado was safe at first on a fielding error by Abreu. Then Taylor struck out, and then I is kind of the decision. You got a guy on first, one out. What do you do? I thought just with what Tony Larusa has done for the large majority of the season, they would have left Cueto in and just see if he could finish the sixth, and then they would have had seventh, eighth, and ninth to worry about. But here comes Reynaldo Lopez. Reynaldo kind of handles it. He ends up walking Michael Massey to make it a little bit different for difficult for himself. Uh, Ryan O'Hearden then fouled off. Drew Waters reached uh, on catcher's interference, but then Lopez grounded out to first to get out of the inning for Raylo. But interesting to see how Miguel Cairo has been managing this bullpen. I thought it was an early pull for Cueto, but yep. the White Sox win. <laughs> Nothing got too damaged, so we can't be upset. What I've been thinking is maybe 
Miguel is leaning more on the analytics department because he brought in Reynaldo Lopez right there where you said, I would expect Tony to run Cueto out there until the wheels fall off, especially through the sixth inning. Took him out of the game, five and a third, good outing for, uh, for uh, Cueto. Then you get Raylo in there to get out of the sixth inning. Then, surprisingly, in a high-leverage situation, the seventh inning, and the game was still hanging in the balance, he brings in Kendall Graveman. Mm-hmm. I was very shocked. That looks like a move that somebody else would suggest. I don't think Tony would do that. I don't think Tony would bring in Kendall Graveman that early, especially since he's already put Rolando Lopez in the game at that time. So he would probably save Kendall Graveman to the eighth inning. In that situation, I would think he would put in like a lesser guy, like, I don't know, uh, maybe Jimmy Lambert in the seventh and then go to Kendall Graveman. He put Kendall Graveman in that because it was the top of the order, and he was like, okay, I need these outs, and Kendall's been pitching kind of well, and he got the job done. So I'm thinking Miguel Cairo might be listening to some other people other than Tony would be doing and getting some good information to put in some guys in a higher leverage situation instead of saving them for the eighth inning where the situation might already been passed. Yeah, especially in that situation before they got the run support in the bottom of the sixth inning when it was a 3-1 to one game. I thought the bridge would have been... Cueto would have finished out that sixth inning, then Raylo, then uh, Graveman, then Hendricks to close out the game. Um, but very interesting that you bring up you know, him relying on other people because this is a pregame quote. I've got a good group of coaches. They're going to help me. I'm going to ask them for their opinions, and I'm going to make the decision. But this is teamwork. We're going to do it together, the players, the front office, myself, and the coaching staff. That's from Miguel Cairo, the team's bench coach and currently acting manager. So maybe what you're saying is right. Maybe he's listening to Shelly Duncan, and maybe he's listening to the five people in the analytics department of the White Sox. And maybe Rick Hahn is able to have a little bit more of a voice and how these games are managed and roll out, I'm a fan of it. A lot of people have been questioning Tony's ability to manage high leverage, and I think this was a good example of how to manage high leverage. This is a close game. It was a two-run game. You have a guy at 94 pitches. They've seen him. He doesn't have really dominant strikeout stuff. You get a guy on first base that could possibly make it a one-run game. I like going to the big slider fastball guy in Reynaldo Lopez and it ended up working for Cairo. And I'm just thinking, like, no offense to Tony, but he has, you know, the skins in the wall. And so maybe he is more resistant to listening to other people because of his resume. Miguel Cairo is just doing this. I mean, he's not even getting credit for these wins as he's the acting manager. These wins still go to Tony La Russa. And he feels, and probably so, he doesn't have a long leash. This is probably an audition. If Tony La Russa was never to come back to the White Sox, there's going to have to be a spot filled up for the White Sox. As a insular organization, Miguel Cairo, if he gets his team somehow to the playoffs, being very, like, listening to everybody's opinion, especially to Rick Hahn's opinion and the people in the analytics department, will go far. So he has no he has no way to resist against if Rick Hahn says, hey, you should listen to your analytics department a little bit more. That's half of the reason why Ricky Renteria is not here anymore. He wasn't listening enough to his analytics department and playing a game where you're putting your team in the best position to win. Now, if this these worked, moves wouldn't have worked with Ronaldo Lopez or Kendall Graveman, I don't think White Sox fans would have a problem with the actual moves because of it put the White Sox in the best position to win. That's all you can ask from a manager, and that's why I thought for the longest time that managers didn't matter too much in wins and losses until this guy, Tony La Russa, showed up this year and actively messed up the White Sox in games. If you're listening to other people who are smarter than you, and that's, a, I think, a big-time thing with a leader. Leaders know that there are people that are smarter than you, and they know if they are the smartest person in that room, they need to get out of that room. So Miguel Cairo gets credit for listening to other people, or if this is his ideal hell, I'm not, I'm, I shouldn't you know, give credit to other people. Maybe Miguel Cairo has an enlightened mind where he's thinking more of a high-leverage situation we should put in Kendall Graveman, and Tony's not listening to him during the seasons where he's the actual manager. And maybe Miguel Cairo's doing the right stuff. So I should give credit to Miguel Cairo for actually making the moves and not pawning it off to other people. So I apologize, Miguel. I know I'm not uh, out here trying to diminish what you have done out here. So, Herb, yes. gave you a little tease at the end of the pregame. Yes. Telling you that Lawrence Holmes said something that grabbed my ear yesterday when I was listening to 670 The Score. And he said that what he's heard is that apparently Frank Minichino has wanted to make changes to the way the White Sox approach 
uh, and the way the White Sox go up to a plate appearance and try to hit the ball. And we had that quote back in April about how the White Sox were getting slided Slider to, to death, death and how they needed to work more counts. That is something Frank Minichino Minichino said. I think that's the last quotes that have been published by Frank Minichino back in April. And I found it very interesting that, you know, now you look at Tony Larusa not being in that clubhouse. Apparently what Lawrence said was that Tony appreciates the way the White Sox play baseball. He likes the current way that the White Sox approach the plate and and, and hit the ball and, and make a lot of contact and try to, you know, have guys on base and, and crowd the bases and stuff like that. So I thought it all to be a little interesting. Frank Minichito wants to make these changes. Tony likes the way the White Sox play. Now with Tony not being there, I wonder if a change is made. I know it's a lot of talk. I know it's a lot of speculation here, but A, I thought it could be an agent trying to get Frank Minichino a job and being like, oh no, he wants to change things. He understands how things are going. But B, if that is the truth, Tony's not there in the dugout anymore. If Miguel Cairo is able to make that choice of, hey, we're going to do things differently, high leverage ways, maybe Frank Minichino and the seven home runs we've seen in this three-game series could be a sign of something changing. I would love to do that, but Frank Minichino has a track record. As we showed earlier, his teams hit a lot of singles. Uh, the highest, what is it, the highest singles hitting teams in recent memory are his Marlins teams that he was managing or he was uh, the batting coach for and this White Sox team who hits a bunch of singles. He had a bunch of singles today, but uh, also they hit the ball over the fence. Seven home runs in this three-game set. Very different from what the White Sox usually do, especially at home. So it's maybe a, a decent change, and I can't outright dismiss it, but also Manichino has a track record that shows that he has been, uh, his teams have been singles hitters. But if he feels that, if Lawrence and Manichino feel that, hey, this is a chance for me to change it up, a chance for when Tony's out of the thing, I can get into the ear of the players and say, hey, we should do some different things. Hell, they had a players meeting today and just saying, let's have fun. Maybe it's the players just saying, fuck it. You know, Yasmani Grandal said, I'm going to have a little fuck it into my uh, at-bats now. Hit a double today. Would have been a single if it didn't go over the wall. And then directly after that, you see the A.J. Pollock home run. It's good. You see A.J. Pollock now driving the ball. Something's changed with him. Right. Maybe he well, just, it was, it's recently. Remember that quote you said about Steve Stone was like on Tuesday or Monday. I forgot what it was. It was recently, and he has changed in the last two or three days where he's driving the ball to right field with some actual power. Yeah, I, I mean, maybe something. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure. It's But it could be but, the but, Orioles, I mean, too. AJ Pollock taking it to right field would be in what we have assumed as Frank Minichito's, uh, you know, hitting approach to make sure that you use the entire field, which is why we've talked about Jose Abreu increasing his opposite field, uh, you know, hit uh, percentage. So, And we've seen the White Sox. I mean, the White Sox lead Major League Baseball in opposite field hit percentage. So I, I don't know. I think, like, it's, I think a lot of it, I think it's agent talk. Right, I think that clearly there is a goat in that White Sox locker room. There's there's clearly a scapegoat, and it's Frank Minichino. Yeah. I would assume any good agent is saying, "Oh no, Frank understands what's wrong." But like what you're saying, I mean, even when it just comes for home runs, Frank Minichino's rankings for his teams: 2014, 24th, 25th, 29th, 2016th, 29th, 2017th, 19th. That's with Carlos Stanton hitting 52 home runs too in that season for the Marlins. They were still 19th, 2018th. They were 30th. 2020, they were third. That was the huge uh, season for the Sox. 2021, 19th, 2022, 26th. I think the White Sox still are, are in that range there. So I think it could be an agent being like, hey, you know, Frankie's not that bad. It's all Tony. And Dan from the 209 brings a good point. Wasn't there talk that when TLR was hired that he would only be there for a couple seasons and Cairo would kind of be groomed to be the manager when TLR left? I mean, I've heard of those things. Like, that's why they picked him as the bench coach because he's a very smart baseball guy, very sought after. I mean, if this White Sox team, you know, and how they do business and Tony La Russa was having to step away or resign or get fired after this year, I can definitely see Miguel Cairo stepping into that position because it's the White Sox. They choose people who are already on the team. That's what happened the last time we had a person step aside Uh by his own admission or by his own um, volition, it was Robin Ventura. They just put in Ricky Renteria right after him, his bench coach. Right. I mean, that's that's basically the kind of line of succession. What was the last White Sox coach to not be a bench coach? Because, I mean, I guess Ozzie, right? I mean, theoretically, 
Tony La Russa. But well, well, right. the only the, I'm trying to think of the last White Sox manager that wasn't a White Sox employee before he became here. He came here, and that'd probably be Jerry Manuel. I don't know if he was. Was before. Robin? Was Robin a? I, I mean, like passenger. Um, no, but he was an employee. He worked for the team as a hitter, uh, as a player. Oh, okay. Like past. I got. Yeah, you. like a guy who was a true outsider, like a guy that you went out searched for was not a White Sox before. I think maybe Jerry Manuel. Yeah, it'd be Jerry Manuel. He never was a player, and then after he was with the Expos, uh, no, the Marlins. Uh, he was bench coach under Jim Leland uh, in '97, and then one month later, he signed a deal with the White Sox. But Jim Leland's still a White, White Sox, Sox guy. Yes, exactly. Right, so- White Sox guy. So, so it always goes back to old White Sox giving the recommendation to Jerry Ryan. So hey, get this guy. Remember, it was Kenny Williams. Gonna, I think he was gonna hire Cito Gaston to replace Jerry Manuel in 2004, but Jerry Ryan was like, "Hey, give this Ozzy Guillen a try, see what he is." And Kenny humored Jerry and said, "Hey, all right, I'll do this interview." And he knocked his socks off, and gladly, he got the job. Well, and another bench coach. <laughs> he was the he was the Marlins bench coach, right? So, yeah. uh, uh, just picking off bench coaches. So, I mean, it would be. A line of succession, for sure. It would make sense. Uh, Miguel Cairo, before he came to the White Sox, uh, he was a special assistant to Reds man- general manager Walt Jockety, um in 2013. And then he was the third base coach and bench coach for the Reds. Then he moved to New York to work in player development, and that's where the White Sox hired him. So I don't know if he's here mainly just because of the La Russa connection. And the other thing, too, is I could see Ethan Katz taking – the over as manager because you hear the way they talk about the pitching lab and how Ethan Katz has been so crucial to the pitching lab. I could see them wanting to make that be their main focus, have this young up and coming pitching coach who is techno- uh, technologically sound be the manager. I, I I could see that being the succession. I could see it either being Miguel Cairo or Ethan Katz. Now all this talk with offense and how the team has responded without Tony Russo, it goes out the window tomorrow if the Minnesota Twins and Sonny Grace stick it up their giggy. I mean, that could happen, as it always seems to happen, especially at home. So I feel all this stuff and the good feelings we're having right now, it's much better than losing. I still, in my heart of hearts, think this White Sox team will finish in second or third place in the ALCS or the AL Central now, but... They're giving a little bit more effort. They're showing a little bit more heart. But some White Sox things showed up today. The three airs, we mentioned the Jose Abreu one, the A.J. Pollock one, and I forgot the other one. But sloppy play still persists with this White Sox team. Uh, catcher's interference is counted okay, as an air. They need to go out and take two out of three versus the Minnesota Twins this weekend. I know a sweep would be much sweeter as there are three games behind the Minnesota Twins currently, and you can be tied with them. But that's really hard to do, especially I think the Minnesota Twins have two out of the three uh, better pitching situations in this weekend series. Yeah, um, well, I'm not sure if they're going to be rolling with Davis Martin tomorrow. He is listed as the probable pitcher. Uh, it is going to be at the G rate at 7-10, Davis Martin versus Sonny Gray, then Dylan Cease versus Tyler Malley, and then Lucas Giolito versus Dylan Bundy. So you're saying they have the better matchup in Bundy and Gray? Yes. Okay. But Tyler Malley, that's, that's an interesting one. Um, I, I thought that he's been dealing with a shoulder issue. I'm pretty sure he left in his last start on the 17th uh, against the Royals with shoulder injuries. So apparently uh, he is able to return. I thought he was going to be out for the entire year. So we'll see what he is like. That's going to be the first time seeing Tyler Malley in a Twins uniform after they acquired him at the deadline. We'll preview the Twins series a little bit more later on in the episode. We are going to be joined by Vinny Duber very, very, very soon. But we got to tell you about our great friends over at PointsBet. They're counting down the days until football season with a new offer every day until the season kicks off. From now until September 8th, PointsBet's Power Hour will unlock a new daily offer from 12 to 1 p.m. Central Standard Time. So sign up with PointsBet now using code CHGO to also get two risk-free bets up to $2,000. Don't miss out on your chance to get daily access to free bets, boost odds and so much more now through September 8th. But that's not it. If you make a $51 or more first-time deposit, you'll receive a free CHGO membership, which unlocks all of our web content, and you'll even get a free shirt of your choice from the CHGO Locker. So download the PointsBet app today and use code CHGO to take advantage of this limited-time offer. We have some great shirts in the CHGO Locker. We have a brand-new QB1 shirt. We have the size C shirt that Herb was rocking yesterday. He's got the full CHGO logo shirt as well. So definitely take advantage of this fantastic PointsBet offer today. Don't just live your bet life 
or don't just bet, live your bet life with points bet. If you or somebody you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER for crisis counseling and referral services. Herb, where are you going this weekend? I'm going to Atlanta. Oh, baby. I call it my Lanta. You call it my Lanta? Because I'll be there. There you go. You'll be in it. Uh, well, I want you to, I know you've already done this, but yeah. people should be checking out game time, huh? A hundred percent. This week, you know, unprompted from the new Game Time sponsorship, we always, when we went to Detroit, we tried out Game Time, get us inexpensive seats, and then I think we get them every time we go to Guarantee Rate nowadays. Game Time's a great app, and we tried to get tickets for the Atlanta Braves-Marlins game down there in Atlanta, got some premium seats, awesome seats, and they have 110% buyer guarantee. So if you buy tickets on the site, Game Time, and you see it, being in the same row on the same day, in the same section, for lower on a different site, they give you 110% of the difference of what you bought it for. And so I bought the tickets. I saw it on a different site after I bought the tickets, and I sent a a quick uh, screenshot of what the other site was offering and what I bought them for on game time. Immediately, like 12 minutes. I am not kidding. 12 minutes later, they sent me an email. It's like, yeah, Herb, here you go. Here's the difference plus 10%. (laughs) Of, the, of what you bought. So I got $46, $46 in my credit right now for game time. Like the customer service is great. The seats are great. They show you exactly where the vantage point you're going to get in the seats that you're buying. Because, you know, I've never been to Truist Park. And so to see exactly the vantage point is pimp-ass thing. I love game time. And they also show you the fees included. You can have a, a little button right there to show you the fees included so you know the all-in price. I don't even need to do the ad read. Herb just did it for you. What I'm are you telling you, for? man? Game I, t- I, don't just, I don't just say this stuff. I use these things. Use the game time app. It's awesome. It's the hottest new ticketing site that makes it easier than ever to score the best deals on tickets to sports, concerts, and shows. Just like Herb is saying, you won't find a better deal this season on Chicago White Sox tickets because it was created by fans for the fans, and again, it guarantees the lowest price. If you love CHGO, then you'll love Game Time. The best way to support us is by buying your tickets through the link in the description. So if you're on YouTube right now, first off, the description's right next to the like button. So hit that like button. Herb's going to show you the Game Time app as well. But click that link in the description, the Game Time app, and you'll be taken to their great website. You'll be able to download the app and join 15 million people who have downloaded the Game Time app and scored the best seats to all of your favorite events like Herb's trip to Atlanta. But if you want to see any of the Twin Sox games this weekend, download that Game Time app and find the lowest prices guaranteed. So thank you for uh, hyping up Game Time like that. Glad you used them and glad they have great customer service like that. Oh man, it was, it's a difference when you actually, like I was sending it, I thought I was going to have to jump through hoops like a regular company. Nah, they was like, you got a kid. Here's your money. Immediately. 12 minutes after. That's awesome. That's quick, man. Uh, So shout out to Game Time. We appreciate them jumping on as sponsors. Uh, We'll be joined by Vinny Duber in just a second, who talked to manager of the year, uh, Miguel Cairo. Um, But just looking back over this three-game series, seven home runs in three games, I don't want to say, are they back? Because that's a load of crap. And they're going to be going up against, you know, three good starting pitchers here in Mally, Bundy, and Gray. But do you think the power continues? Are you getting any vibe at all on the power? It could just be the lack of quality in the bullpen for the Royals because that's who they mostly attacked. I mean, they did, did get to Brady Singer, did not get to Bubich as much. And today with the uh, Mendic, Mengen, whatever guy's name, I don't know if they got to him too much. They only gave up, what, two runs himself, but eventually got to Brad Keller and the rest of the bullpen. So, yeah, I think that maybe they found something. And maybe this Minakino thing might be true. And maybe this players meeting they had before the game, just like, hey, guys, let's just take the pressure off ourselves and just fake it till we make it. Have some fun today. Well, let's have some fun with Vinny Duber. We'll go out to Guaranteed Rate Field and talk to the CHGO White Sox beat writer. You can follow Vinny Duber on Twitter at Vinny Duber. You can also read his great work at allchgo.com. Hello, Vinny. Hey, guys. How are you? Another new spot for you? I, they, you know, some doors have been locked. You know, it's been, it's been, uh, it's been roulette in terms of what, where I'm going to be able to set up. So uh, we're, we're taking what we can get at the moment. Hey, uh, as long as you're joining us, we can hear you loud and clear. We're all set. Uh, how was Miguel Cairo after winning today? 
you know, uh, pleased, obviously. I think, uh, you know, a, a win is a good one. They're on a little uh, two-game winning streak here. I don't think you can make too much of one series being one, but they've had so much trouble with the Royals this year that maybe you can, uh, you know, take a little bit more from them finally getting over the hump, so to speak, against this team. Uh, you've seen some signs. You've seen some signs, obviously. I heard when I when I, when I I joined here, I heard you guys mentioning the power, and you got some home runs uh, in this series. You got some walks in this series. Um, you know, uh, uh, Yasmani Grandal's back if you want to talk about some health maybe returning to these guys but of course there's a lot of other issues going on in that department uh and really this meeting that was kind of the talk of the day is, is the meeting that happened before the game players only didn't really seem like it was anything crazy in terms of content you know it's just kind of like all right this is the last month of the year uh let's make sure we're all doing what we need to do be on the same page and but guys looking back on it very positively and and aj pollock saying that you know it'd be really nice to look back and say that this was the turning point you know this this little bit here in this series against the Royals. But, um, you know, as we've learned so often with this team, it's really, let's see, let's see how it goes. I mean, the last meeting that happened, uh, you know, produced or at least was coincidentally uh, aligned with a five game winning streak. And then we saw what happened after that. They lost 10 of 12. So, uh, you know, let's not go ahead and say that this is going to be the, the launching pad. But at the same time, you can't help but look at the math. Four and a half games as we speak. I think the Guardians will be starting in about an hour here or so. Uh, it ain't over yet. It ain't over until uh, the math lady sings, so to speak, there, if you'll pardon the terrible terrible joke. It sounded way better, way worse coming out than it did in my head. But uh, the uh, whole point being that, uh, you know, they're not in it till they're, ex- or they're not out of it until they're officially out of it. And if they keep winning, if they keep hitting home runs, if they keep walking, uh, that's going to be a big key to getting where they need to go, certainly starting pitching, which has been really good the last two days, too. Sean and I were discussing, uh, Steve Stone had pointed out that A.J. Pollock had been pool happy a couple days ago and subsequently hit into a double play to third base immediately. Now it looks like he's making a concerted effort to drive the ball to right field and to get singles for the right field. I think all of his hits today went to right field, even the one that got robbed. Is it a concerted effort for A.J.? Did he talk about how his approach has changed this week? Well, I think that he's been one of the guys that has spoken up about how kind of strange it has been, the the home power conditions here at this ballpark this year. Uh, you know, I think White Sox fans are used to seeing a lot of home run balls fly out of guaranteed right field, and that really hasn't been the case depending on where you're trying to hit it. If you're, the white, if you're a hitter, be it on the White Sox or the opposing team, depending on what part of the park you're trying to get the ball out to, uh, it has not always been so easy this year. So um, certainly for Pollock to have a couple here in the recent days is, is a good sign. Uh, Andrew Vaughn hit a, hit a real long home run today. Uh, I think uh, it, at this point, it doesn't matter where they're going out as long as they are going out. Um, surely it, it, it probably uh, is a little bit more complicated than that in the minds of these hitters who know what they're doing against certain pitches. But uh, in terms of results, as long as it's a home run, uh, that's what this team needs right now is a little bit more power and uh, to get what I think it was seven of them over the last three, three days. That's a step in the right direction for sure. Well, and he should have had another one too. And he got robbed at the wall by Drew Waters. So, uh, and the White Sox have gotten robbed in, a, in the past couple of games uh, by, by some outfielders. So that's been frustrating to watch for uh, especially this team that's been so starved of home runs. Uh, speaking of a team that's starved from home runs, they probably need Aloy Jimenez's bat in mm. the lineup. What is the update from Aloy Fans saw Josh Harrison come in and pinch hit for Aloy, who was already the DH. Um, So what's the update with Aloy? Did he hurt his uh, knee on a swing? Uh, I don't think he hurt it on anything specific. They're just saying that it was sore. Uh, And obviously, remember that right leg is where he had the surgery done. And uh, what have we been hearing ever since or since before he even came back, which is just, hey, this is going to happen from time to time. He's got to learn how to get used to it. And maybe he is not used to it yet, or at least not all the way used to it, where he um, is going to be able to play through uh, certain things there. So, uh, you know, sore legs we've been hearing with Aloy ever since he came back. There's been a concerted effort by the team to, to make sure that he does not um, turn soreness into an injury. Uh, and, you know, you've seen him been given days off. You've seen him play a lot at DH. Uh, and I think that'll probably continue as his legs are probably not 100%. In this case, it was so not 100% that they took the precautionary move of uh, removing him from the game and making sure that he didn't have to run on him again. 
Johnny Quaid looked great again after a little hiccup last week versus the Arizona Diamondbacks. What do you say worked today? And he's been phenomenal this year. It's a, it's a testament to his uh, work ethic and his uh, learning how to pitch and knowing how to pitch. Yeah, I mean, I think really one thing that jumps out to you, and he did it again today uh, when he had that, what, second and third situation, one yep. out, gets a couple of line drives. Now, granted, those balls were, were hit pretty well, but they were hit in the right spot. Uh, Johnny Cueto has a knack of escaping those jams, of, of kind of uh, – figuring out when trouble is uh, going on on the base paths, how to get out of it. And it doesn't necessarily mean he's going to go and strike everybody out, but being able to pitch to your defense is obviously a big skill. This guy knows how to pitch, as you mentioned. I mean, he, he's a guy who's been doing this for a long time. So long, in fact, that he was teammates with the White Sox acting manager back in Cincinnati. How about that? Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but I mean, listen, this was just more of the, of what White Sox fans have gotten used to seeing from him today. Only one run on the board. You're not used to seeing only 5.1 innings, but he said after the game, come on, you can't go seven or eight every single time. And he's right. Uh, even though he's mostly gone six, plus every single time so um as long as he's effective they can turn it over that bullpen and i don't know about you but the last two nights how about miguel cairo with the pitching changes he is at a tito francona level of pitching changes right now (laughs) well so we wanted to ask you about that um just because we were kind of surprised i was surprised that he got pulled in the sixth inning at 94 pitches that kind of seemed like you know if this was tony he might have rode cueto until the end of the sixth inning if he could get through it and then you would have had three more innings to probably put Reynaldo Lopez, Kendall Graveman, Evan Hendricks in, especially at that time, it was still a three to one game. Uh, so did Cairo speak a little bit about, you know, the, these pitching changes and, and what has been the process of when to pull guys or how he's pulling guys? Well, specifically to Cueto today, he did say that, you know, he just kind of saw that he was almost out of gas. He looked on his face at his face while he was out there in the sixth inning and said, all right, that's, that's enough. Um, in general, it was humorous. Actually, I think it was on, was it on Monday night or, or yesterday? can't remember um but uh you know he was asked kind of what he has learned from tony you know or like how is tony going to influence your managerial style this was after the game and he said oh my god i was out there making pitching changes like crazy like it was almost like something he was trying to do to be like tony um and i know you know white Sox fans have gotten used to seeing certain things this year specifically from tony i think maybe it could be the time of the year too and this is just me you know thinking about this since you asked me the question you know, there's been so much made of trying to keep these relievers ready and, and uh, you know, uh, strong to get through to the end of the season, to get to the part of the year when, when they really need to use them so much. Who's saying this isn't that time? Who's saying that, you know, if, if Tony La Russa was in the, is still in the dugout, if it, or whether it's Miguel Cairo now, this is what they were waiting for. And, it, you know, they need – the players meeting today was all about how this might be their last chance to, to figure this out. And, you know, as a cart goes by me, I'm going to mute this uh, when I'm done talking here so you can muse. But uh, I think this is the stretch run and they got to do what they got to do. I got a question that's not really baseball related, but it happened to you. You're in the area. Um, Jose Abreu hits a rocket shot into the press box up on the fourth floor. And our guy, James Fegan from The Athletic, catches the ball. First question, did it, was it hit really hard? And then second question, did he save your life? He saved, uh, he saved my shin. So I sit, I sit elevated behind James. So James sits right in front of me. Uh, and I mean, honestly, he just, he didn't get up. He just did this. He just did this and caught the ball right in his lap. It was, it was incredible. I, I said it was the most athletic thing that's ever happened in that press box. And I'm a hundred percent confident that that's the case. Uh, the but Dutch, man, the Dutchman, no, he well, hasn't done I anything mean, that- well, he hasn't had an opportunity to make a play like that. That's for sure. Uh, but yeah, tremendous, tremendous work by James there. And yeah, it was a screamer. It was, it came in hot. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was, <laughs> we were, we were pretty much giving him uh, crap for the rest of the game that, uh, you know, how, how, how dare this was a, a YouTube broadcast and not an NBC Sports Chicago. They would have gra- captured that on film and then had him in the, uh, in with Jason and Steve for right. two innings uh, right. talking about that, I would imagine. <laughs> Did his hand hurt? Did he have like lines on, the, on his hands from the ball? I mean, I'm surprised just uh, that anyone is going to stick out their hands and catch a, a, lining, a, a liner like that. So shout out to James for taking one with the team there. And he gave a ball to a kid afterward too. Oh. So he uh, he hit the, the uh, he hit he hit for the foul ball cycle today. Well, James, I, I also saw threw the ball down to the kid and then bus tossed the kid on Twitter saying the kid dropped the ball. So um, classic James. Got to make the play. Got to make the play. <laughs> um, uh, before we get to the two guys that 
aren't with the team right now, one being in Arizona uh, and then one traveling to be with the birth of his uh, son. Uh, I just did want to ask about Aloy and, and, and finalize some stuff with it. Um, he hasn't played the outfield since Friday the 26th, mainly has been a DH since. Do you just expect Aloy to probably be 90% DH? Have they talked about his outfield usage and if that will increase or decrease um, just because now they're managing Luis Robert and his wrist injury. They're now managing Aloy Jimenez and his knee injury. We saw on Sunday, Aloy pinch hit and then Luis Robert pinch ran for Aloy. Um, so they're kind of, you know, balancing it, uh, you know, at bat by at bat and, and situation by situation. So do you expect a lot of Aloy in the outfield the rest of the year? No, I think he's going to mostly be a DH. I mean, they've talked about it, uh, saying that, you know, guys, he's got sore legs. And, and, and if he runs a lot, that's going to that's gonna affect that. That's going to make it, if not worse, it's going to, you know, keep it where it's at. And I think the best thing that they can do for him probably is limiting his running to only running the bases. Uh, I mean, we've seen we've, – we've heard that being said about Andrew Vaughn uh, on days when he's gotten a breather – it's because the sore legs that he had earlier in the season and that he obviously dealt with toward the end of last season when he ran out of gas physically, you know, they, Tony has said he played the outfield. He ran around, ran around a lot in the outfield. That sounds silly to people. I understand because they're like, Oh, these are professional baseball players and that's their job is to run around in the outfield. But human being, no matter how good a shape you're in or what your job is, you run around in the outfield, your legs are going to, if they're already sore are going to stay that way. So, um, yeah, I don't expect it to see him do much more playing in the outfield this season. And uh, DH is probably likely where he's going to be so they can make sure that his bat stays in the lineup. I saw something you tweeted out earlier about Jake Berger. Can you tell our folks about the latest on Jake Berger and his injury? Yeah, I mean, this is from a few weeks ago at this point, but uh, I didn't get much attention, obviously. He, he has a fractured wrist. He's on the IL down there. And so as people have kept wondering why not Jake Berger to come up in, in the event of some of these injuries, he's, he's not available. He's on the injured list. Uh, you know, obviously when Yohan Moncada went down, that would have been the opportunity to do so. But certainly people are asking the same question with the way Luis Robert has been. You know, you, if, if you have to make it a position player because of the roster rules, why not make it a guy who's hit for power for you, who's had a good – uh, you know, a good showing when he's been up here at the major league level. You know, he, he's not available. Uh, he's he's hurt. <laughs> a, a fractured wrist is a serious injury, obviously, more so than the soreness that we keep talking about with some other guys. So he's not available. And, and it really goes back to the whole the whole thing that we've been talking about for the last few days now with Robert. Why wasn't Robert put on the IL? Why didn't they IL Robert? What are they doing? Two games over a 10-game span with the possibility of Robert playing is more valuable to this White Sox team than going 10 days with to make sure that there's one more guy on the bench that you're hardly ever going to use if it means no Robert for 10 days. That That's that's the bottom line right now, and, and that's the way they're operating. That's how they've operated. If you, don't disagree, if you don't agree with it, that's fine, but they don't really have a guy, especially since Jake Berger can't come up and hit, they don't really have a guy who they can call up and say, oh, man, you'd way rather have that guy than an injured Luis Robert. Yeah, Berger got injured. He got hit on the hand. Um, so then that ended up fracturing his wrist. So, I mean, that, that might be a very, very long road back for him uh, to, to, to come back. So I don't know if he's going to be on this team. But uh, just to kind of whiteboard it for people, too, because uh, we kind of jumped into this Luis Robert conversation. Uh, Luis Robert is still an active member of the White Sox, but he is going to take a leave from the team to be, with, uh, to be at the birth of his child. He's not going to go on the paternity list. But with September... Coming around on September 1st, the white the rosters expanded to 28. There is a max of 14 pitchers, so the White Sox called up Matt Foster from AAA and then Adam Hazley uh, to be an outfielder. So basically, they have a 28-man roster with 27 actual active players with Luis Robert, correct? Yeah, I mean, I suppose that's correct until, until Luis Robert comes back. Uh, you know, they, they don't expect it to be long. Sometimes, you know, you go on the paternity list and it's a week-long thing. They don't expect it to last that long. They, they they are hopeful there's a possibility he's back by the weekend. I mean, tomorrow is Friday, but I guess before the end of the weekend, you would say. yeah. Sunday's still the weekend. And we saw right. a, a comment from Max up there, and there was a brief a glimpse at Michael Kopech in the dugout. He looks like he has a, uh, a handlebar mustache. And firstly, did you see it? And then secondly, what's the status of him returning to the White Sox? Unfortunately, on the latter, which I'm sure is the thing people mostly care about, uh, there's really no new info. Miguel Cairo was asked about it today and just basically said he's doing good. 
so there's not really a lot of specifics there. I have seen the mustache. It is a horseshoe. Uh, it is uh, very nice. It looks very nice. You know, it's it's if you're a uh, if you're a Hulk Hogan fan, you would appreciate the, the the mustache. And then you throw in his hair, which is now down past his armpits. Uh, it is quite the look. So um, I'm going to go ahead and shout out Michael Kopech for that, because uh, during the pandemic, as I think I've brought up on this show before, I grew the horseshoe myself. Didn't look very good. But, um, you know, we have some early pictures of me and my now wife dating. And the first and the first picture we have together, my mustache is all the way down here. And it looks just atrocious. It worked. Yeah. I, I mean, I think I think it, things worked out in spite of the mustache. <laughs> <laughs> it worked out because Claire just loves you. Uh, yeah, it was is it Lemmy style, like Lemmy of Motorhead style? Would, would you compare it to? Is it is it kind of tighter? I mean, you said Hulk Hogan. Is that kind of the the the, the closest comp you can give to the mustache? Yeah, yeah, it looked like obviously you know he had the the beard. Michael had the beard going, so it looks like he just kind of did this, wiped away the beard, and that's kind of there. So he has. He did it right. You know what you mean? You know, you're, that's the way you're supposed to, to do a horseshoe mustache. Some of us just tried, just grew the horseshoe mustache by itself and kept shaved the whole time. And that was not the way to go. So uh, good job by Michael doing doing things the right way. Absolutely. And then a uh, final one. Uh, we just want to check in on Tony, if there has been any update or if there's an update on when we'll be updated. Uh there has been no update to this point. There is kind of a loose update to, to when we'll be updated, which is maybe tomorrow, maybe the day after, maybe by before the end of the weekend. I think basically the expectation is we should be hearing sooner rather than later, maybe just more, more information. And I think we did, you know, we haven't heard from Rick Hahn on the subject. The idea the White Sox don't want to, you know, elaborate until they have more information, which I can kind of understand. I don't think that that's, you know, you want to go out there and say a whole ton of things and then you get back to your office and, oh, it's all changed kind of thing. So um, I get that you that you would want to uh, wait till you had more information to speak on things. And maybe they'll have as much information as how long they would expect him to be out or whether they expect him to come right back. I think they're waiting for those tests that he went to Arizona to, to have done to come through and, and, and kind of provide some more uh, clarity on what his situation is. All right, and make sure to follow Vinny Duber um, if there's any word from the White Sox on that clarity on the Tony Larissa situation. He will have those updates for you on Twitter, at Vinny Duber. He's our CHGO White Sox beat writer. And, again, make sure to check out his work at allchgo.com. Appreciate it, Vinny. All right, guys. Take it easy. You yeah. too. Um, and uh, Sox Haps is right. If a girl will date you with a horseshoe mustache, that's real love. Uh, you know, my girl has put up with enough of my awful facial hairs. I my think it's awful the opposite. haircuts. Facial hair is good. If he somebody dates you without facial hair, like I looked at myself without facial hair, I was like, "Ooh, friends, what's going on there?" <laughs> Looks like a child. But like, I I think a beard. I mean, beard is. I mean, especially when I was younger, like a beard was never in style. Like it was always you know clean shaven and stuff like that. And then it felt like in 2011 yeah. started building up. But like now, especially like. After college, it's been everyone has a beard, and if you don't have a beard, you're weird. Everybody has a, a beard. Everybody gets tattoos. That's the half the reason I didn't get a tattoo. It's because no. Then I pretty much had this when somebody I think the uh, no shave November thing happened mm. in 2000, probably 2020 or maybe 2019, and then I shaved it off after like when we hit December because I think it's cheating if you just keep the no shave uh, November uh, beard. And I start a, a new, and this is what it has. It's a salt and pepper. I'm old. It's real nice. And I, so that's the only reason I have this beard is because somebody challenged me for the no-shave November thing, and I did it. You got any salt in your hair? Uh, yeah, a little bit. A little bit? I need to, you know, when, yeah, I, get the, when I get the blonde, bit. it'll be there. Or the, the, a little the, bit. The frosted tips. If you guys know anybody with frosted tips, after I get back from Atlanta, yeah. well, hey, hook, somebody hook me up with me. some blonde, and then I'll do a two-for-one. I'll have it blonde for a little bit, and then I'll shave it all off. They got hairstylists down in Atlanta. I do mean, they? Don't be afraid to, you know, stop it. I mean, Ronald Acuna's got some wacky-ass hair down there. Um, you know, I mean, you can figure. I think he's I think he's dyed his hair like Luis before, so uh, you could you could find somebody. I've, I've dyed my hair before. That. Back in the early 20s, it was mahogany. It was, like, more brownish-red. Are you serious? Yeah. My friend, you were, like, a redhead? Yeah. My friend Melissa thinks it was more blonde, so I've been kind of blonde in my early 20s. You have photos? Nah, no, we don't have photos back in the day. And I wouldn't let uh, people take pictures of me back then, so no. 
And hey, uh, Wayne, speaking the truth here, I keep my facial hair to hide the wrinkles. I keep my facial hair to hide my my, my the chin, the fat on my chin. Um, so you know, a beard can hide anything. Uh, I want to let you know about PointsBet Sportsbook. There's no hiding from the PointsBet Power Hour from 12 to 1 p.m. Central Standard Time until September 8th, until the football season kicks off. The PointsBet Power Hour will be unlocking a new offer every single day. Don't miss out on your chance to get daily access to free bets, boosted odds, and so much more now through September 8th. Today, they gave you a free college football bet. They gave you $2 to put on any college football game that you wanted, but you needed to do it from the hours of 12 to 1 p.m. Central Standard Time. Lawrence, uh, producer of CHGO Bears, Blackhawks, uh, I think he also does the Fire and, and, and Red Stars as well. He was on it at 12.59. Trying to make his pick. Oh, I don't know who to pick. I don't know who to pick. I don't know who to pick. One o'clock came around. The bet came out. So you got to be on the app from 12 to 1 p.m. Central Time. To take advantage of those free bets and get after it. Download the PointsBet app today. Use code CHGO to take advantage of this limited time offer. And don't just bet. Live your bet life with PointsBet. If you were somebody who has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER for crisis counseling and referral services. Um, Justin Donahue joining a little bit late asking, did anyone get hurt today? Aloy did, and the sod father did. The sod father is out with hernia surgery. You oh. missed that? No, oh, I did miss that. Man with the golden rake. Mercy, I tell you what. <laughs> get, be- get better, sod father. Yes, mercy. You need uh, your hernia. We, we need help. Um, so the White Sox taking on the Twins uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, 7-10 on Friday, 6-15 on Saturday. That one's on Fox. And then September uh, 4th on Sunday, it's Davis Martin versus Sonny Gray, Dylan Cease versus Tyler Malley, and Lucas Giolito versus Dylan Bundy. Right now, the Orioles lead 2 to nothing in Cleveland. And if you look, if you take a look, at the major league standings right now, the White Sox do sit four and a half games back of the Guardians, 65 and 66. The Twins are 67 and 62. They're one and a half games back of the Guardians, who are 68 and 60. The Twins have an off day today. No Kenta Maeda for the rest of the year for the Twins, and Byron Buxton still sore. He will stay in Minnesota to rehab when the team leads for a road trip. That starts on Friday. So no Byron Buxton for the Twins. They do get Tyler Malley. How are you feeling about this Twin series coming up? I'm feeling, I wish I could feel positive. Because we on, have Herb. that feeling of, okay, here we go. We're one, two in a row. We won the series versus the Royals. Feels good that the team has finally started to hit. Seven runs uh, in the loss they had the other day. Seven runs today. Feeling a little bit better. And I know we have some good pitchers out there. Now, Lucas Giolito is not great. But versus Minnesota, he ramps it up a little bit. That's, I think, this team that he plays well against the most in his career. So, we have a couple of good things going for the White Sox. But I cannot put my trust in this team until they show it to me. Go out and get two out of three. And play good. And play well the whole series. You know, you lose that one game, you're like, and you still played well. You can you can live with that. Winning three in a row where you looked bad, no, I can't do that. I can't do that because then you know what's going to happen when you go out there to Seattle and lose three in a row there. And we know the house of horrors that Oakland has been for the White Sox historically. So winning two out of three versus the Minnesota Twins sets you off on that West Coast trip in the correct way, and then you have a little momentum. Then you have the fun that they were looking for in the pregame speech they had in the players-only meeting. This is the most vital, important series of the year because this is the start of the nine games you have left with the Minnesota Twins, who are currently three games ahead of the White Sox. Yes, and hey, you know, if you're three games ahead right now, I don't know, a sweep sounds nice. Sweep sweep sounds like it put you in a pretty good spot, no? It would. Hey, so there you go. Right there in second place with the Minnesota Twins. Especially if the Orioles lose tonight, or if the Orioles win. Do you know how they scored the runs today? No, I don't. Solo shot to start off the game from our guy, Sed Mullins. My guy. Then a guy got out, and then my guy that I won on the White Sox, Anthony Santander, took Justin Bieber. Justin Bieber. Shane uh, Bieber. Shane Bieber deep. Probably he's pitching out there like Justin Bieber. Let's Bo- go. Both home runs are on the first pitch of the at-bat as well. There you yep. go. So first pitch swinging on Shane Bieber works. Maybe the White Sox can take some tips. Uh, you mentioned Lucas Giolito versus the Twins, uh, 433 career ERA, but in 2022, one start, 2.25 ERA. He did have to leave that start uh, with an injury, I believe. And then in 2021, a 205 ERA and three games started. Uh, in 2020, it was kind of iffy. He did give up a lot of home runs, five home runs uh, in three starts against the Twins, but 2019, a 324 ERA, and he had that uh, complete game shutout on August 21st in 2019 
at Minnesota. And then this year, right before the All-Star break, he uh, shoved versus the Minnesota Twins going into the All-Star break where the White Sox were feeling great about themselves. So that must have been the four-inning the four inning outing that, 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 that I saw because I thought he injured himself this year? in Minnesota. Yeah, he, he did not pitch I, against Minnesota. He's sure? only pitched once against Minnesota this year. I I could swear that he pitched for his Minnesota this year, and and was LG LG showed up. No, after he injured himself on April eighth in the opener against Detroit, he made his return against Minnesota, going four innings, four hits, one earned run, three walks, and nine strikeouts. Uh, the Maybe white, I got dementia. I, I don't know if you have dementia. I don't know if it's that 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 I'm, serious. I could have swore it was like July. <laughs> no, um, July. It looks like Kopech, Lynn, and Cease pitched against him. Right before the All Star break, and then also Cueto pitched against right, them. I so have to mention, guys. Giolito just got missed. Giolito was good the day before on July 13th. He was he won two to one against the Guardians, uh, and then the next day they started a four game stretch against the Twins. So maybe you're just maybe I'm just mixing my teams up. Maybe you're just mixing Guardians those teams and the weird ass Minnesota Twins look alike. Yes, but the fact that the White Sox have this opportunity without the Twins having Byron Buxton, this needs to be two out of three or a sweep. And I know we've said that. Fuck, I don't know, uh, probably every series since April. But, I mean, truly, the math is going to start running out for you at some point. Yeah. And Aloy Jimenez now dealing with this injury. Again. Luis Robert dealing with his injury and not going to be with his team likely uh, on Friday. Uh, you know, Justin Donis is John Hussein, uh, hopefully Luis Robert is back this series. I would doubt it. I, I mean, maybe Sunday, but I, I don't see it happening. Um, and, and again, how healthy can he be and how, how much can he actually contribute? The thing that worries me about this whole Aloy thing is, you know, Vinny talked about it. Like, Andrew Vaughn was needed to be watched for his legs. Yeah. So did Aloy Jimenez. Now they are managing Aloy Jimenez's legs. Does that mean they stop managing Andrew Vaughn's legs? Because all he has done is played the outfield because Aloy hasn't. So that just worries me that Andrew Vaughn, the guy who has struggled with leg soreness, is going to have more sore legs. Hey, hit a bomb today. So I don't know if I could be too critical here, but I guess that's my main worry hearing all this stuff about Aloy is it's just going to cause more of a domino effect. If Luis Roberts hurt, well, that means... Aloy Jimenez needs to take on more of, of a brunt. And then if Luis Robert and Aloy Jimenez are hurt, well, then that means Andrew Vaughn's going to need to play left field, and that's an adventure in its own right. I think, and we're getting back to Luis Robert, I would love for him to just take off the whole road trip. So Minnesota this weekend, then they go to Seattle and Oakland. Take off, firstly, because the risk is still not 100%. Secondly, because his family is more important than this White Sox team or any team. Get to meet your kid. Get to... Bond with your kid in his initial, his or her initial days. Like, this should be, and this is a thing that, you know, a crusade against. Luckily, A.J. Pollock got hurt in that game before he got on paternity leave because he got a chance to go back home, witness the birth of his child, his second child, and spend some time. You know, the mother just gave birth to the child. I'm sure she would like to have a little, you know, time to rest and get her body back together. And it's also a good time for you to bond with your child. I've never had children, but I would be damned if they told me to get back to work three days after I, my uh, wife had a child. I will be like, man, go bump all that nonsense. I'm going to go and see my child. Now, this is the, the precious moments. And I know my team needs me, but damn it, what am I going to do? Sit in that dugout for eight innings and they're going to make me a pinch runner like I'm <laughs> goddamn uh, Benny Rodriguez? Right. And Bump then, all that. I'm staying where I'm at. And then what? I'll see y'all when I see y'all. Let's say that that game that you do, you put Luis Robert in in the ninth inning to be a defensive replacement. I don't know. Maybe the White Sox blow that game. The bullpen blows that game. Happened before. What happens if he goes up for another at bat? Do you let him swing? No. Right. So what do you you're waste? You're going to put him in play defense for two innings, maybe, and then put in Adam Engel to play, like. Fuck this team, man. <laughs> like, I mean, it's more of a baseball thing where they only give people three days for paternity leave. It's just dumb. I understand you want to win all the games, but God damn it, family comes first. And if he can't play and they're not putting him on the paternity leave, hopefully for his own sake so he can go and meet his kid and have a, a good time, let him just go. And if I was Luis, like, I ain't coming back. My wrist still hurts. Right. <laughs> and my child is here. I'm kicking it. Yeah, uh, and and yeah, hey, I, I like they I'm, made Tim's like Tim when the birth of his kids, he slept on the couch of that of the um, hospital because he wanted to be right there for Bria. He wanted to be there to see the birth of his child and also you know hold her for the first time. You know, skin to skin contact, the bonding that you can't get back. 
instead of being here in fucking Chicago, sitting on a bench, looking, eating sunflower seeds and fucking going somewhere else. And then, oh, you need to you need to be pinch run. Cool. Go out there. Well, and I think the main thing that shocks me with this is Luis Robert born August 3rd, 1997. I was born August 1997. So this man is the same age as me having a kid. What are you doing? You're 25 years old. Knock it off. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, if you're a supreme athlete, I'll be having kids too at 25. Well, I would have been having kids at like 18. But guys, guys, got, guys got the bankroll, but I, 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 that's a headache, kids. You kidding me? You can take care of him, man. Hey. Ask your man Nick Cannon. He should not be. He's about my age, and man's got about 10 kids. Stop it. No, that man's that man's going. Hey, he, always Nick I'll, Cannon got to work, dog. Hey, <laughs> man. Steps, that's, Hey, man, always take a raincoat out there. It's raining. <laughs> oh, boy. All right, let's talk real quick about our beloved Jose Abreu because we have some concerns. Uh, Herb was sitting up here talking about Jose Abreu stinking with runners on third. Uh, I forget the exact moment, but Abreu ended up striking out, uh, and it wasn't to start the inning. It was uh, one out, I remember. Yeah, so Vaughn singled to – no, he struck out a couple times in this game, so we got to find the exact moment. Uh, okay, so Andrews walked. Then Andrews advanced to second. This is in the bottom of the fifth. Andrews uh, advanced to second on a wild pitch. Then uh, Vaughn grounded out to first base, pushing Andrews to third. So Abreu came up with one out, Andrews on third, and then he struck out. So I want to look at what Jose Abreu has done run value-wise with runners on third base, and we'll go month by month, okay? We'll go month by month throughout his entire career. These are the months that Luis Robert has had a negative run value when there is a runner on third, at least a runner on third. So that means, you know, there could be two outs, runner on second and third, runner bases on first loaded. and third, bases loaded, just a runner on third, like this situation. And what I want you to look at, again, these are all of the months that have been zero or negative for Jose Abreu, is how many times 2020 pops up. It's the first one. It's the lowest one, negative 5.1 run value in July 2022. Not good. August 2022, negative 3.3 run value. That's okay. the second one, wow. Then you go down 42nd, uh, and that's you know ranked from uh, 48 to 1. Okay. So 42nd, March, April 2022, minus 1.4. That's probably not good. May 2022, that pops up at 36 there, minus 0. 0.5. That's not good. Oh, and then June 2022, minus 0. 0.2. So basically, this entire year, whenever Jose Abreu has had a runner on third, he has been worth negative runs. And today, when he has an opportunity in September, he strikes out. What do you make of this? It could be a player getting older. I mean, you saw most of that was concentrated on 2022. We saw in 2020, whenever the opportunity to drive in a run was available, Jose Abreu was getting the job done. Whatever he needed to do, go the other way. Put the ball in the air with a sack fly. Put the ball over the fence. He would get the job done. Maybe this is age. Maybe he is pressing too hard as this is his walk year. This is a White Sox team that is struggling. He's putting a lot of pressure on himself as a team leader and an RBI getter. And all this stuff is culminating into a bad year where all the months this year have been piss poor as far as that specific uh, situation with a runner on third base. Um, yeah, I mean, Clark is a good point. Maybe you try him as leadoff guy. He has a high on base. He has a good high on base percentage. And yes, it might sound far fetched, but they've had other players that are much slower than Jose Abreu and Yasmani Grandal up at the leadoff guy. Andrew Vaughn, I think, has hit leadoff a couple times. The man gets on base via the walk or via the singles. Maybe it's something to think about because if he's not coming through in the RBI situations this year, which he isn't. You have to change something up. He probably wouldn't be too comfortable or good with that, but he also is a team player, and maybe he can see that his numbers, while he's got 61, I think, RBIs on the year, are way down from where his normal numbers are, and it's because he's struggling in the situations he usually has. Well, and two, I think the main thing is, I mean, he's, he's still the best hitter on the team, as Alex Potno says. I mean, he's still coming through in moments, but it's those clutch moments. And again, what is the word that we've heard coming out of the White Sox locker room this entire year? pressing and why are they having a, a, a players only meeting about having fun because they're pressing every single t player on this team 
is pressing. And I think that's why you're not finding this consistent run from the Sox because every single at-bat, they feel like they need to be that guy. And I think, I mean, whenever you see a home run, it feels like these guys are relieved. Like, oh, it finally happened. Like, A.J. Pollock hits it. He looks, you, see him, you see him in the dugout, and it's like, oh, man, thank God. Andrew Vaughn with his crazy-ass hair, like, oh, thank God that finally went out. I hit my 15th home run this year. He leads the team with 15 home runs. Clearly, there's an issue. Someone's pressing. They're all pressing. Like, I, I don't know. I, I don't think Jose's this bad, but when he's driven in 100 RBIs, has been the MVP, we're talking about a retired number. This might be his final year. I could absolutely see him just putting so much pressure on himself, especially in moments where there is a guy 90 feet away. And he's probably thinking, all I have to do is put bat on the ball. And he's probably just up there overthinking it and just not being able to be that same guy that he is when that pressure's off, right? Yeah. They say hitting is contagious and maybe struggling is contagious. Pressing is contagious, and you see it with this team. The 2022 Chicago White Sox have been pressing, and they are a huge chase rate team. So when those rate runners are on base at third base, we saw Jose Abreu striking on ball that never even reached the plate. It was way below the zone, and he was just trying so hard to put bat on ball that he was going to be swinging at anything. He was in swing mode. And so, yes, pressing might be part of it, and he's 35 years old. On the other side of his prime. So maybe this year as a 35-year-old, he's starting to show a little wear and tear. He's been playing baseball since his teens in right. Cuba. So maybe a little bit more professional baseball, mind you, since his teens. So maybe than a regular player who has only been playing, an American player who's only been playing professional baseball since his 20s, early 20s or mid-20s. Jose Abreu's been playing baseball for about 20 years professionally. So I would give him a little leeway as far as falling off the table and his body wearing down. Yeah, and Stephen, can we scroll up real quick? I want to apologize because apparently I confused people because I had a little Vinny LaRusa moment. Uh, PB saying, Abreu discussion was confusing, Sean. You said, let's look at Luis Robert and then look at when 2020 pops up. I think I got the gist. What we showed you was uh, Jose Abreu's splits by month since he's been in the major league since 2014. And what I was trying to show you is it was all the months that were either at zero run value or negative. And what has shown up is whenever Jose Abreu has a runner on third in 2022, his run value that month is negative. So he's had, I think, about 12 entire months of zero or negative run value with a runner on third. Uh, and what we have seen is every single month this year has been negative. So that's all I was trying to say. Sorry for any of the confusion. Final thing, want to go to our win 60, lose 60, and what happens with the other 42 at this White Sox. We haven't updated it too much, but here you go. The White Sox have won 47, they have lost 48, and their other other 18 and 18. So they have six more of those deciding games here, and they have about, you know, uh, about 13 more wins to, to rack up and about 12 more losses. So if the White Sox go 13, 2, and 6 and 0, White Sox are probably going to the playoffs. The White Sox go 13, 12, and 3 and 3. They're a 500 team. Exactly. I mean, they are currently one game behind 500, and you see the, the wins and losses, and the other 60 are right there with it. So, this is a 500 team as of ever. They're probably going to get 500 again tomorrow and then fall off the table one of these days again. Go back either two games under, two games over. You know, the White Sox, they love to just teeter the line going back three games going up five games going back to three i hope they just go on and run right there and they'll need and to have a little fun as they said a little fuck it a little fun well and here's the thing all you need to look for is a run of six straight wins or or, or something along that line because yes they're going to win 60 but i think if they give you that much of a push at least some little edge there they're going to at least go probably 500 uh, like it's just really those six games there that that matter because again the whole saying is you go 60 you win 60 you lose 60 it's the other 42 if the White Sox are able to go 6-0 and in those other 42 games they will be six games above 500 and they will be the American League Central Champion so I mean they can go 5-1 and 4-2 and two, as long as it's not 3-3 three and, three. and even 4-2 and two is kind of that danger 
area there. So the White Sox are able to go five and one, six and zero, oh, and those other forty-two, uh, the final other forty-two, uh, the White Sox will probably be your AL Central champions. And Herb and I will be with you for each and every game. Basically, we have Friday and Saturday off, but we will be with you on Sunday. Herb's going to be out in Atlanta. Jared Willis is going to be joining me here in studio, so that should be fun. Have fun down in Hotlanta with you and Courtney. Enjoy the Braves game. Follow Herb on Twitter at Ecknerwall23 and see all of his pictures at his great game time seats at Truist Park. Damn straight. <laughs> on Friday and Saturday. I'm Sean Anderson. You can follow me on Twitter at Sean underscore W underscore Anderson. Thank you to Vinny Duber for joining us from Guaranteed Rate Field. You can follow him on Twitter at Vinny Duber. Thank you to all of you guys for hanging out with us and participating in our chat. And thank you to Stephen Nicholas for his production of this show. Thank you to Fleetwood Mac also for their 1979 album, Tusk. We will talk to you on Sunday. Go White Sox.